What do you associate, question for you, what do you associate with good smells? What's a good smell? Baking is a good smell. Someone had one over here. Oh, my goodness. Hey, baby. What? John, let the, re- let the podcast show that John Courtney thinks Jane Madsen's armpits is a good smell. <laughs> what? Yeah, Kirsty. Oh, the vent outside when you run your dryer. Grace. Grace Radis is the first day of summer. I love it. I love the heat of summer. Matt, I see you, but I, I see Kat is wanting to respond to that. Anything? She likes the smell of winter, your frozen heart, the, uh, um, <laughs> the smell of rain. Matt, what's a good smell? Oh, yeah, that's also a summer in my mind, yeah. Yes, Lucy? Come on, and you are dismissed. Yeah, let's go get cookies. Um, any, uh, yeah, Drew. Eddie Kobayashi, okay, Eddie is at a different church this morning, so I hope Eddie is listening to this podcast. And Eddie, you are loved and missed this morning, and uh, you smell good. Uh, one more, Lizzie, yes. The smell of pizza rolls. Mm. Now, how many of you, okay, Zoe. Fall-scented candles. We have every season except spring. Um, but we're going to be sitting at the computer typing out some notes. Jenny is having Saturday night bath time with the kids, and Ben is up first. And when Ben gets done, as I'm typing, she hands me Ben Edwards fresh out of the tub. He's, he's been dried off a little bit. His head's still a little damp. And the shampoo uh, just smells like newborn baby. And Ben, just being a little over a year old, still carries... When, after he is freshly washed, he still kind of smells like he did when he was newborn. Um, and so here I am holding Ben last night, and I don't know if any other parent does, our grandparent. <laughs> so this, this, this smell is, to me, is fresh, and it's innocent. Now I want to tell you about another smell, okay? Not of my kids. Though I could, but I'm not going to. Um, I want to tell you about another smell, smell of Joey Covey. I shouldn't use first and last names, but too late. Joey, <laughs> Joey Covey's uh, a backpack, circa 2011. Uh, he played for Spruce Creek football team. And uh, Spruce Creek was located right across, uh, right across the highway, uh, Taylor Road, right across Taylor Road from our church in Port Orange, Florida. And he would get done with football practice, and Joey would, would come on over and sit in my office, and he would bring with him his backpack. And he would get fresh out of football practice. Joey was a big guy, okay? And uh, Joey, uh, Joey could sweat, all right? He was a sweater, and uh, he would get done with football, and he would change back into his street clothes, no shower, all right? And so I want to tell you about smells this morning. So Joey would get done with football practice and take his football gear off, and he would shove it in his backpack. And he would carry his backpack, use it like a duffel bag. 
and he'd carry his backpack over to my office, and then he'd lay it down, and he'd sit and want to talk to me, right? And one time, I asked Joey for something that he needed to get out of his backpack, and so he unzipped his backpack, and just, I don't, have anyone ever been to Florida? Uh, Jeff just got back from Florida. It's hot, and football, when does football, football starts in Florida, same time football starts everywhere, in August, okay, when it's like, it's hot here in August, but it's hot times, you know, Will, Will's from Florida, hot times, a, hot times a million, it's just unbelievable, and Joey would open that backpack, and out would come this aroma that was the opposite of my son's head after bath time. And I had this little podunk office, man, and, and I, I kept the door shut, and so it just, it just filled that room. Oh, where, where Ben, the top of Ben's head reminds me of life and thriving, all right? Joey's football jersey reminds me of death and decay. <laughs> oh. You know, several months ago, we, I asked you, what would you, what would you like to hear preached on? And uh, some of you, several of you, four or five of you, mentioned some sort of forgiveness um, as wanting to be preached. I hope that the last four weeks, the ones that you were able to be present on were helpful to you. Uh, if uh, you missed some weeks or if you're interested in revisiting that topic, we have the notes for you. Some of the podcasts got a little messed up, but we have notes. And if that would be of interest to you, we'd be happy to share that with you. But now I want to shift our attention onto another theme. Uh, next week, of course, is our 25th anniversary, and Pastor Dan Broughton will be preaching. And I'm not asking Pastor Dan to preach on this topic, so we'll take a, a break next week, and we'll catch up in two weeks. But I want to talk to you about something else you asked about. You asked about forgiveness, and several of you asked about what do Nazarenes believe what is it? Now, you may not know you're sitting in a Nazarene church. This is not a non-denominational church. This is a denominational church. The Church of Nazarene is a connectional body. We're connected all over the globe. And one of the things that connects us is our deep-rooted belief of sanctification. It's so over the next four out of the next five weeks. We want to spend some time talking about sanctification and what that means, and why, why the way Nazarenes believe about it sets us apart in similarities to other churches. To talk about sanctification, we first have to talk about new birth. And you could start in other places. You could probably start with provenient grace, Pastor Dennis. But I want to start with new birth. And so if you have your Bibles or your smartphones... Would you go to Titus? It is the very last of Paul's recognized letters. No, it's not. Second to last. I believe Philemon is the last. So it's buried back there in the back of your Bible. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I want to start with verse 3. I want to start with joy to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. That is to say, death and decay. But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. 
not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what do Nazarenes believe? Well, amongst several things that we believe, rises to the top is a conviction that the Holy Spirit can cleanse the life of a believer in a way that gives them a new birth, not only in the regeneration of that process, the of it. Nazarenes have an optimism about them, right? That we believe that God can not only make the believer new, but can sustain that newness so that the, the smell of that innocent fresh, newborn baby smell can last forever, forever and ever. I want to tell you about um, a gift we received just a few months ago. Uh, It was a hibiscus plant. Those from Florida will also know hibiscus plants. Hibiscus plants were not meant for here. Um, They were meant for... Uh, a more subtropical region. Hibiscus plants thrive in the heat, grace, of the summer sun. They thrive when they are placed in environments that routinely rain and provide moisture for them. See, hibiscus plants, this uh, genius of flowers, They come out of subtropical regions. They were meant for the southern hemisphere. The deep green leaves and radiant colors and constant buds. Hibiscus plants are a popular plant. So popular that people began to take them out of their subtropical regions and place them on my front porch. They weren't meant for my front porch. You see... These plants need a different type of environment than my front porch. What they need is constant exposure to sun. Now, if you get the hibiscus plant, Christina, in the right place. Do you have a hibiscus plant? Yep, see, it wasn't meant for your house either. (laughs) If you get the hibiscus plant in the right place, it will give you buds almost every buds that flower almost every day. Now the flower lasts for about a day, but the next morning there'll be more buds and more flowers, and it just consistently goes. This is what the hibiscus plant was like for to take a um, uh, oh like an oval shape almost, and it will kind of kind of come up and uh, and then just flower and and oh the the the. The deepness of the color of the green on the leaves provided six days of great joy for Jenny and I. And then we, then we began to notice after an extended period of time, it was, it was actually several weeks, uh, the, the greenness of the leaves 
kind of became brown. And uh, they, they, f- they were flaking off. And the fullness and the weight of this, uh, of this bush uh, had, had become skinny, uh, almost anorexic. Uh, it, you could see right through it. Um, uh, where once your vision was stopped because everything was so full, now I could see straight through the plant and the siding of, it said on my porch, so the siding of my house was behind it. Now I could see straight through the plant and see the siding of my home. What once was pink flowers now were all wilted, and the petals were on the base of the pot, whose container of rich nutrient soil now was so dry it felt and had the consistency of dust. My hibiscus plant was dying in conditions that it wasn't made for. It's popular just because of how full and robust it can be. But placed in the wrong condition, put in the wrong environment, this hibiscus plant can't thrive. It will die. You see, the hibiscus plant sat on my front porch longing for the place it was created for. It wasn't meant for the gardens of middle Missouri or western Missouri. It wasn't meant for this garden. You see, I think the hibiscus plant sat there and looked at me and said, Come on, gardener. Take me back home. Take me back to the place I was created for. I wasn't created to live here like this in the extreme of the seasons. And I'm sure now my hibiscus plant is shuddering, wondering about the coldness of the winter coming sometime not this weekend. (laughs) Wondering what it's going to be like when the temperatures drop. Trying to remind me it wasn't made for this place. So after a few weeks, I spartaned up, and I realized that maybe if I was going to revive this plant, I was going to have to recreate the conditions that it longed for. I was going to have to try in some way to bring the southern hemisphere, to try to get the southern hemisphere to break into this place. And so we moved it. We see right by the hibiscus plant. And it is full of pink flowers. And the leaves are back. By a work of grace, it has been reborn. It is a new plant. And it has new life. And I think we have tricked the hibiscus plant to think that it lives in a world that it doesn't live in. You see, it's firmly situated in a context in which it was not meant for. It is firmly found. But we have tricked the hibiscus plant to think. By the careful work of the gardener, by the very little discipline that I have, I have manifested that little discipline into this hibiscus plant. And by the discipline and careful work of the gardener, the hibiscus plant thinks it lives in a different world. And it is thriving in this subtropical back porch of Lee Summit, Missouri. (laughs) Maybe the illustration isn't so subtle. But the careful work of the steward required a change in practice. In order to revive a dying plant, 
connections that it was originally created for needed to be recreated. Hibiscus was not meant for Missouri. It was meant for a different garden. And in order to enjoy the first fruits of its sins, must be made right for its production. Church, you little hibiscus plants that were to smell like the top of my son's head fresh out of the bathtub like newborn babes. Do you find that in this environment that you live in, are you thriving? Are you so robust with the fruits of faith that it is just producing all around you peace and faith and mercy and love and gentleness and humbleness and self-control and patience? Or do you find that maybe you weren't made for this world? that maybe the conditions of where you live, you wouldn't say, Jake, I feel like the hibiscus plant on the back porch. Maybe you would say, I feel more like the hibiscus plant on the front porch, where I can't tell what makes me distinct anymore. I can't tell my fruits apart from the death and decay of those that are around me. And what once was thriving life is now dusty and dry. Maybe because, friends, you weren't made to live in this type of garden. You know, our tradition and my tradition and my training would tell me that we weren't made for this type of death and decay in which we experience in culture and society. We were not made for a world that tells us that self is the greatest Lord to be served. And we live too long in environments like that will be like hibiscus plants that are placed in places that they aren't meant to thrive. We will begin to become dusty and dry. And you might wonder, why am I so angry? Why are my mind filled with such lust? Why is the first words that I think to say always so nasty? How oh, I would tell you, you weren't made to live like that but placed in the wrong condition, friend, you'll look just as dusty and just as decaying as the world around you. My faith tradition tells me that we were meant for the first garden, the very first garden. About in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, the garden that was full of life and connection and peace, the life where relationships were perfect, where there was nothing wanting, it conveyed in the idea of nakedness. Said in a way that human beings lived naked with one another without any shame or embarrassment at all. Basically symbolizing that we were pure. We were pure. We could live around each other in a way in which we didn't take advantage of one another. But we lived peacefully with one another. Oh, man, I think those are the types of plants that we are. That is the garden in which we were created to be. 
But that's not the garden we live in now, is it, John? For if we were all to be naked in front of each other right now, it would be, a one, a very weird church, and two, feel full of shame and embarrassment. We don't live in that type of world. We don't live in a world, Amanda, where relationships are free of conflict, do we? No. Because there's some that are sitting in this room that are not free of conflict, and it's awkward every time you come to church. We're reminded that we don't live in the first garden. Just like my hibiscus plant was reminded shortly thereafter being put on my front porch that it is no longer in the subtropic regions of the southern hemisphere. And so we are, are reminded as well. Friends, I would just tell you, frankly, that not only were you not meant for this world, that the garden that you were meant for is so wrapped up into the person and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you are grafted into that restorative work so that the garden that you were always intended to be planted in is represented in the very person and presence of Christ. And so that whenever we gather underneath his name, we gather in the name of the garden we were always intended for. You see, the new garden that we will all one day be planted in, that new garden is represented in Jesus, who's also the very first garden. Olivia, don't tell anyone this is really good preaching. And so whenever we come, two or three, ever, anytime, gathered in the name of Jesus, you are planted in the soil in which you were tended for, intended for. That outside of Christ, my friends, you'll be like the hibiscus plant wilting on my front porch, or you might be like the jersey in my good friend's backpack that smells like rotten body odor. (laughs) I would never say, you smell like rotten body odor. Just indirectly, I would say that. I think that three reminders are important for us when it comes to the topic of rebirth. I see, when it comes to understanding what it was that you were created for, because you may be out searching why your life does not feel very peaceful, and I would think that a very good place to start is to start with the soil conditions of where you're planted and to determine if where you've planted your roots, if where you, if, if, is, I don't know if this metaphor is making sense. But where your heart lives and where the roots of your mind lives and where your eyes live and where your thumbs live. I'm talking about this. This is what the metaphor is meant. So if your heart is in the places of this world, then it will reflect the places of this world. And if your eyes thrive and live and dwell on the things of this world, then they'll become dark like the things of this world are. The Gospel of John, verses 10 through 13, begins to tell us exactly who we are. That we are are children of God. 
man, Alex said, you're not just some cool dude, and you're a cool dude. You're slightly taller than me, which makes you really cool. (laughs) You're not just a cool guy. You're a child of God. Don't you know that? Don't you know who you are? That when we're reborn into the love and regenerative love of Christ, that (laughs) he calls you child. He adopts you. Romans chapter 8, verses 15, that he adopts you. That he takes you on as his own. First Peter or chapter 1 verse 3 begins to tell us that it's not just to any imperishable inheritance that we belong. But when now we belong to some imperishable inheritance. Something that will never ever decay. Something that will never collect us. It's more worthy than silver and gold. That we belong to all of which God has. As a child of God, you don't just stand upon this earth. You live upon this earth with all the richness and resources of heaven above. See, you don't just, you're not just rooted in the new creation of Christ. You become the new creation of Christ. Your new fruits in Christ as a child of God. He's been asked to lead an entire country out of the oppressive reign of a a world leader. That's not easy to do. That's very difficult to do. We see people struggling with that all over our world today. God asked Moses to lead divinely, lead his people, God's people, out of the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. And Moses is freaking out. He says, who's going to go with me? Exodus 33. Do you remember what God says? If you have the NLT, God says, Moses, I will personally go with you. And who carries the character of God? Who wears the character of God in his flesh? Jesus Christ, the new garden who has come to this decaying soil. And so the God that will personally go with us is the very same substance as the one who grafts us in to this new life and this new birth. And so when you walk into work tomorrow, don't you know you walk into that place as a child of God with all the inheritance of heaven on your side and that God personally goes with you? So stop talking like this world and stop walking like this world and stop living like this world because you don't belong to this world. You have all the resources available for you to live like a child of Christ that gives fruit to everywhere it walks and brings light into the darkness of places that you have not been reborn into a, into a world that dies, but you've been reborn into eternity in which a world will never, ever perish. So you have the power and ability to live like Christ. What do Nazarenes believe? They believe that you don't have to live like sin. That's what they believe. They believe that it is possible for us not to look at pornography every day. They believe it's possible. It's possible not to live underneath the rule and reign of addictive substances. That it's possible. That not only only is it possible, but that Christ will sustain that level of living. That you don't have to be a hibiscus plant 
if you're just coming into the service, not through Christ has brought the new world here. So, friends, what do Nazarenes believe? That you can experience rebirth, new birth, and new life, and new power. And that's not just a one-time thing. It's a time after time after time after time. We're optimistic. We're optimistic that this new birth, that our heads can perennially smell like new life, new birth, 